Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship Tomball, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. God's plan has always been to unite us with Himself and other believers through His Son. Our new life comes with a calling that urges us to radically love others in new ways. Join us as we go through the book of Ephesians in this sermon series called Unimaginable. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to be with you this morning. What a fantastic time of worship and communion. Thank you, Joy, for leading us in that. Uh, I'm Alan McBrayer. I'm the executive pastor here at Tomball, and it's really fun when I get to get up here and share with you. We uh, try to rotate as much as we can so that we don't get focused on one personality, but like I shared with somebody, if this is your first time here, next week our lead pastor will be up here, Kevin Barra, and I hope you will come back for that. But uh, I'm excited because we're going through a series in one of the uh, favorite books or letters of the Bible, the letter of Ephesians. And through this series, which we've entitled Unimaginable, we've seen some really unbelievable, unimaginable things that God has done for us. We've been in the book of Ephesians for about five or so weeks. And in that book, we've seen that God has chosen us We've seen that he has adopted us into his family, he's forgiven us, he's redeemed us, he has actually allowed us to join with him in his work, invited us into that, he sealed us by his Holy Spirit. And then last week, in chapter 2, that was all just chapter 1, in chapter 2, we've seen that God has saved us when we were dead in trespasses and sins, and then he's joined us all into one family the body of Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, it doesn't matter if you're uh, breathing and you're a human being, we're all joined into that family if we've believed in Jesus Christ. And so that's so exciting. And then last week, Kevin shared with us from chapter 3 what some would call a digression in Paul's whole uh, writing of the letter, but really... It was, a, and it was an encouragement for, as Paul is suffering, for us to not get discouraged when we see our Christian leaders suffer or others around us that are Christians suffer, because actually God is working that all together for good, and God is strengthening us, and through the suffering, we are growing stronger in being able to believe in Jesus Christ. And so this week, we come to the conclusion of the first half of Ephesians. Uh, the first half of Ephesians is kind of the theological side of Ephesians. It lays the groundwork for practical living. Now, I kind of always hate to say that uh, in that way, just for this reason. There's nothing that's impractical about what you believe in God, which is what theology really is, because what you believe in God is really, really important. But in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul will show us how all of these things apply to everyday life. And if there's one thing that we know today, this whole group of people, whether you're the millennial generation or whether you're my generation, and anything in between, we know that if it doesn't work, we really don't care, right? So you can tell me all that theory stuff, you can give me your opinions and all those things. If it doesn't work, I don't care. And so we finish up the part that is the groundwork for all the part that tells us how to live this out in everyday life as next week begins. But as Paul concludes this section, these first three chapters, as he concludes this part, he prays 
an incredible prayer. Now, I think it's interesting that we get to listen in on Paul's prayer, that, that God records many prayers of the saints in the Bible so that we can see how they prayed, not so that we can measure ourselves by how we pray, but so that we can really see what we should be praying for. I know that sometimes people will be like, well, I really shouldn't be praying and asking for that because that's just kind of self-centered or that's just kind of about me or whatever it may be. seems kind of trivial, and that may be true sometimes. But when you look at the prayers that are in the Bible and you see the kind of prayers that those folks prayed, they often prayed for the things that they were going through. But they grounded those prayers in a theological framework. They grounded those prayers in who God is and what God wants to do in our lives. And so if there's one thing I want to know, and this is the truth, I want to know what God thinks about what this whole world is all about. I want to know what God, who created everything, I want to know how he thinks we should be living, how he designed us to work the best. I want to know his wisdom and his principles so that life makes sense to me because there's a lot of things that don't make sense about it. But I know that God knows what makes sense about it, so I want to know what his thoughts are about that. And so as Paul prays, he gives us three elements of this prayer that will allow us to see what God thinks about what life is all about and what we should be striving for. So if you would turn with me to Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21, let's read these verses together. Paul's second prayer in the book of Ephesians, and it'll be on the screen as well. Paul says it like this, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height, and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, and get this phrase, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. This entire passage wraps around that one phrase. He goes on to say, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so what we see here is a prayer that Paul prays that has one point to it, although we'll have some more points, trust me. It has one point to it, and that point is this, is that being filled up to all the fullness of God is what matters the very most. Being filled up to all the fullness of God is what matters most. That challenges me. I want to know, does that really describe my life? And I want to know, how do we do that? What's interesting that we tend to settle for a lot of things and think we're doing okay, but we're really just getting by. I want to ask you, have you ever noticed that there's a thing that happens when the holidays start approaching? 
Now, there's a lot of holidays today, and they're not all holy days, but uh, there's a lot of holidays, right? And what you see is the merchants start putting out their decorations, let's say Christmas. They start putting out their decorations for Christmas and their different items for sale for Christmas, like way too early, like three or four months too early. I didn't realize that I looked this up, and this kind of irritates us, right? I looked this up, and this has actually got a name now. It was one of Merriam-Webster's dictionaries last year's words to watch. It's actually two words, and it's called Christmas Creep. You've probably heard of it, right? Christmas Creep. I didn't know it was actually a thing. I'd kind of heard it, but it's like, okay, yeah, I don't like that either. Well, you know, I, was, I thought about this because I was walking, my wife and I were walking through the store about, it was in August, and we saw not just fall decorations, but we saw Halloween decorations on the shelves in August. It was like, that's not right. You know, this bothers me, okay? This bothers me because in the first place, uh, I kind of go back and forth. Should I support that holiday or should I not? You know, all that kind of stuff. But I, at the end of the day, I come down to this. There's going to be kids coming by our front door, and we're going to have to get them something. Now, whether I go to a costume party or not, that's okay for y'all. I'm not sure I'm doing that, okay? I got a costume on right now. That's it, okay? But all I'm saying is I'm looking at all that stuff, and I'm saying, I don't really even care about this Halloween holiday that much, but I'm confronted with it when I walk into the store. I've got what decorations are we supposed to get for that? Uh, is it just fall decorations? Is it Halloween decorations? What are you supposed to do? People are hanging ghosts in their trees and skeletons and all that. You know, I don't know what you think about all that. I don't really care about that part, so I don't do that, right? The other part is they've got all kinds of candy. I mean, think about this. I'm walking in there, and I'm the guy that buys the candy usually because I'm thinking, I'm in the store, I'm going to get that out of the way so I don't have to think about it again. And they got hard candy, they got soft candy, they got chewy candy, they got salty candy, they got sweet candy. I mean, come on. But then they've got all kinds of sizes of candy, right? When I was a kid, we had one size of a candy bar. Now we have king-size candy bars. I can tell you I'm not buying that for the trick-or-treaters, okay? That's all I'm saying, all right? But then there's snack-size candy bars. There's bite-size candy bars. They've got all kinds of names for them to get you to buy these different candies, right? And so what we honestly usually do, and if you know me very well, this wouldn't surprise you, we usually buy something that is pretty small because it doesn't cost as much, but it makes the kids really happy, you know? So that's, that's what we do. And so I was thinking about this, though, is that this is somewhat the way we do life today. We want a good experience, but we want just enough of it that we don't have a lot of consequences that come from it. If I get just a little, I'm happy, but I don't have to worry about the problems that might be associated with that. But even more than that, I got to thinking, we really get our Christian life on that same level. Sometimes, sometimes what I do is I say, God, I want your blessings. I want to live for you enough that I can get your blessings, but I don't really want so much that I get the pressure that comes with it. I don't want to get it in such a way that I have to really do more than I really have bargained for. So I kind of figure out how much I want to pay, and then that's what I get, right? So we don't like to think that way, but that's human nature, isn't it? And so as I thought about this, I just thought, what God really wants us to do, as I thought about this passage, what God really wants us to do 
is he wants to, to live the Christian life the way he designed it to be lived. It's an all-in experience. It's not a halfway experience. If you just do part of it, you really don't know what Christianity is really all about. But when you're all in with it as much as is possible, then you begin to really see the beauty of what God designed. And so today, I want to challenge us all as we look through this to live a God-sized life, not just a life that is defined by our human limitations and capacities, by just what we understand at the present time, but we live in the fullness of God being filled up to all the fullness of God. And we see this in this passage. We see Paul pray for three things that wrap around that little phrase that tell us how we can live this God-sized life. The first thing he says is in verses 14 through 17. He says, we need to live by faith. Live by faith. You're like, duh. We hear that all the time. Well, we do. But do we do it? Do we actually live by faith? Faith has a lot of definitions. But I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm not trying to say, we're going to just try harder to really believe that like I've got to work it up within myself. We're talking about real faith, the kind of faith that believes in a real God. The starting point for this faith is what Paul prays for. The starting point for this kind of faith is God himself. He says, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would be strengthening you. Here's what Paul is saying. If you're going to receive this God-sized life, you have to base it on God. But not your conception of God, but on who God really is. He says a couple of things about him in just the opening part. By the way, when he kneels, that that was not the normal posture for prayer in the New Testament or the Old Testament. They usually stood when they prayed. But when they kneeled at any point in the Bible, it was always a very desperate prayer. They were kneeling because they really, really were dependent on God. That's why they were kneeling. And so Paul says this, you have to understand, I'm kneeling before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth has been named or derives its name. This tells us that God, first of all, is Father. You believe in God. Do you believe in God as Father? You may have had not a very good experience with your dad as a father. But think of that father that is your ideal father. Everything that you want to see in a father, one that protects you, one that provides for you, one that guides you into wisdom when you need that, one who's there for you when something happens. That's the kind of father he is. And it's Paul is saying, that's why I'm bowing my knee because it's before the father, because I know as a father, he created me. He's the source of life because that's what a father is. And he's the father that will take care of me when things go wrong. He's the one that I need. He's a good, good father. So I can believe in that because God, as the creator of all things, is, in one sense, the father of all things, but especially of every family in heaven and on earth. He's not just the creator. He's the father. 
the family is in heaven, maybe that's the angels he's referring to. We don't know, but it's a good guess. But the families on earth, this is just such a fascinating idea. Every family on earth derives its name from God the Father. Family would not exist if God the Father had not created family. Fatherhood wouldn't exist if God himself were not a father and created the whole idea of fatherhood. You see, God is saying, I am the source of your life completely. So when you pray to me, I'm listening to you. I'm invested in you. I care about you. The way you turn out is going to reflect on me. And so I want to answer that prayer if it's at all possible. Secondly, he says, every family derives its name from God the Father. And that whole idea of naming in the Old Testament goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Adam named all the animals. God brought him the animals because he was going to rule over the animals. And he said, if the animals are going to be named the right thing, then you look at the animal and you tell me what does that look like. So he sees a fox. He says, that looks like a fox. He sees a dog. That looks like a dog. He sees a pig. That looks like a pig. Or, you know, you get the idea, right? So he is saying, Adam, you're going to rule over these, so you get to name these creatures. And in the same way, God, by naming us, is saying, I am ruling over you. I have the authority over you to give you my name. I have the last name McBrayer because my dad's last name was McBrayer. I didn't name myself. He and my mom, they named me. But the last name was not up for grabs in that generation, right? That was my last name, okay? And so it's the same thing. God gives us his name. He gives us his identity. We're all made in the image of God. Even if we don't believe in Jesus Christ, we're made in the image of God. So he is sovereign over us because he is the one who has named us. He has authority over us. Paul says a couple of other things in here that we won't spend a lot of time on, but he says he prays that he will strengthen us according to his glorious riches, okay? That tells us this, is that Paul is saying God also has power and God also is glorious. And so if you think about praying to this God who is the Father, who is the ruler overall, who is powerful and who is glorious, If you pray according to his will, you can expect for God to answer that prayer. And so Paul begins by saying, if you pray, your starting point of faith is God. He's also saying, though, by talking about it in this way, when he says that you would be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, he's saying that faith is a gift of God. Now, don't miss that, because a lot of times I worry about myself, that I don't have enough faith in God. But you know what? It says in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If you are here today and you say, I just can't trust God. I don't believe in God. I just can't trust. I can't get within myself. I can't make that happen. You know what God says? Well, then ask for it because it's a gift from me. I will give you that gift of faith if you will ask me for it. This is what God does. He will strengthen us with his power so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through 
faith. And that's what he does. You know where he strengthens us? He strengthens us in the inner person, in the inward parts of who we are. I was thinking about this. I don't know whether it's Marvel or DC. Somebody can tell me, okay? But one of the comics, the Hulk, he suddenly just becomes the Hulk because of this thing that's going on inside of him. It comes from the inside, and it shows on the outside. I like Iron Man. Iron Man puts a suit on. That's not really who he is. He puts, and y'all may really may be mad at me for saying this, if you like Iron Man, I, which, which I like Iron Man, you know, but it's like it doesn't come from the inside. He has to do all this stuff to make the suit, and suddenly he's this guy that's strong in the Iron Man and all those things, but the Hulk is more like what this is talking about. When God strengthens us, he strengthens us in the part of us that really matters. We can do all kinds of things. We can do things on the outside, but those things don't really change us. God is the only one who can bring about internal, lasting change. You know, I thought about this. We are going through in our community groups right now a process called the Gospel-Centered Process for Change. We want to change. There's things in our lives that we want to change, and we have struggled and struggled and struggled with changing them, and like an alcoholic, the most common thing that happens when you change is you relapse. You try to change it, and it doesn't work. You try to change it, it doesn't work, except for a little short period of time, and you don't have that lasting change. Well, the first step in this gospel-centered process for change is what I'm talking about. It's called the principle of powerlessness. We can't change ourselves internally. Only God can do that. We can read our Bible more, and that helps because we're getting lined up with God. We can pray more. We can go to church more. We can go to community group. We can make resolutions and vows, but we can't change ourselves on the inside. Only God can do that. And this is what Paul is praying for them. He says, I'm praying that you would be strengthened by power in your inner man so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. Why does that matter? Because we have to have someone who is greater than us who will give us the power to change. I was thinking about our recent move. We moved a couple of months ago. And one of the things, there's so many things that surprised me. We don't live in our house for six years. And it surprised me that we had gathered so much more in six years. I mean, my goodness, we moved from Fort Worth. We loaded up everything in a huge U-Haul and a car trailer. And we got down here. It's like, how did we do that? You know, well, we sold a lot of stuff there is what we did. But then we got rid of a lot of stuff. And here, six years later, we got a bunch of stuff again. But another thing that, that surprised me was the number of flashlights that I had. If you have grandkids, you better have flashlights. But there's another part that goes with that story. If you have flashlights and have grandkids, you will not have any flashlights that work. (laughs) Right? Because they will have used those flashlights every time they see one. So you have to hide your flashlights that you really need, right? Because if they find them, they're just going to shine them all day and night. It doesn't matter, you know, hide and seek. It doesn't matter what the game is. They're going to use the flashlights. So I... 
you know, get this one, and I'd push the button, and it wouldn't work. I'd get this, push the button, it wouldn't work. Finally, I found two or three flashlights. I got them put away where I need them, and uh, the rest of them I'll get some batteries for. But it's the same principle. A flashlight without batteries is worthless. A flashlight with batteries that are run down is worthless. Flashlights have to have good batteries for the light to shine, right? It's true for us. We have to have the Spirit of God enabling Christ to dwell in our hearts by faith for us to have the power to change and become like God. That's just the way it works. And so this is what Paul is saying, is that the Spirit of God needs to dwell in us. Now, the word dwell there is a very intense word. There's a couple of different words that he could have used. He used the one that was very intense. And what he's saying is this, is that the Spirit of God is meant to dwell in you deeply and meant to dwell in you permanently. Now, the reality is, is that when we got saved, if you have put your faith in Christ and you're born again, the Spirit of God comes to live in you because you are individually the temple of God and the church collectively is the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in us. But he's not saying just that. He's saying God's part is he put his spirit in you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He is sealed in you. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. But our part, our part is to make the spirit of God at home in our life and invite him into every part of our life. Because the problem is not that we are not filled up with the fullness of God because of him, We're not filled up with the fullness of God because of us. Because we shut off rooms in our house to the Spirit of God so that he can't get in those rooms. You might have read before the little booklet called My Heart, Christ Home by Robert Munger. You ought to get it. It's it's very enjoyable. It's four pages, my type of book. Uh, And it's, it's really convicting because in essence what... Robert Munger takes us through is a journey when he invited Christ to come into his life, he invited him into his heart. And he invited him in, and then he showed him around the house. He showed him the study. He felt good about that. I've got a study. But there were some things in that study that he wasn't real comfortable with Christ seeing, but okay, it'll, it'll be fine. And they met in the study, and then he showed him the living room, showed him the dining room where he enjoyed all of his pleasures, you know, the appetites of the flesh. There's a few things, again, that he wasn't real comfortable that Christ knew about, but so be it. It was the way it was. Christ was now in his heart. Finally, one day, he came home. There were many other rooms. Get the booklet and read it. But one day, he came home, and he heard a voice calling to him from upstairs. And he said, come up here. And he says, Okay. He says, there's an odor up here that I can't stay in the house with. And so immediately, Robert Munger says, I knew what he was talking about. I walked upstairs, and there it was, the hall closet. He says, in that hall closet, which, by the way, I'm the only one that had the key to, in that hall closet, there was a tremendously bad odor coming from it that was like something was dead in there. And he said, I knew that There were dead things in there, things that were left over from my old life that I had never dealt with yet. And he said that Christ said to him, open that door and I'll clean it out. And he said, but but Christ, he says, I can't let you into that hall closet. 
That's my closet. It's just a little bitty room in the house. You've got free reign of the whole house, but you don't have free reign of that hall closet. I got the key to it. I'm not opening the door. Finally, because he was Christ, he opened the door. And in a moment, Christ cleaned out the closet. And he says it was amazing. He says it was like the whole house smelled good. The whole house was clean. The whole house was like a joy to be in all of a sudden. And then he said, but Christ then said to me, I want the key to that closet. And he's like, oh, I I don't know that I can do that. But he gave him the key to that closet. But he says, I want one more thing. He says, I want you to transfer the title of this house over to me. Because if you want me to clean up the whole house in the same way that I cleaned up that hall closet, I don't have the authority because you've never given me the authority as the owner of the house to clean up your house. And so he says, I sat down, I took out the title deed, and I wrote his name. I transferred the authority to him. And he had the authority to clean up my house. He said, I realized at that moment that Christ had only been a guest in my house the whole time when I invited him into my heart. But he was meant to be the owner of my house. And so I think sometimes that's the way it is for us. We've invited Christ into our home, into our heart as a guest, but not as the owner of our home. Our part to be filled up to the fullness of God, our part is to invite him in as owner into every part of our life, and he will continue to fill our lives up with his fullness. So we do that by faith, but then Paul prays that they would live according to God's love. He says in 17 through 19, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth, of, Christ's love, of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Sometimes we emphasize faith so much that we forget how important love is. It also happens the other direction. Here Paul says it takes both of those things. Faith becomes effective when love happens in your life. But it's not loving others that he's talking about, although that will come from it. He's talking about when you understand the love that God has for you, then you will be able to be filled up to all the fullness of God. He says, first of all, that you being rooted and grounded in love. That's God's part. When you believe in Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in him, then God roots you in his love. This is a mixed metaphor, if you care, <laughs> from English grammarian standpoint. I don't really care. He says you're rooted in God's love, and you're grounded or you're founded on a foundation of God's love. One is this agricultural idea that when you have a plant and you put it in good soil, it's going to grow. This is what God does for us when we believe in Jesus Christ. He roots us in the soil of his love. But that's not all, because he also builds a foundation and places us on the foundation of his love, a firm foundation. And that's what we can believe about God's love. If we don't have ourselves rooted in that soil, we will dry up and we will not bear fruit. We will not experience his fullness. But similarly, if we are not on that foundation, there's going to be a lot of cracks in the walls of our life. 
and we are not going to feel whole and well because we're not rooted and grounded in his love. Bad foundations lead to instability in our life. But here is the truth. We have to trust that God loves us if this is going to work. So God did plant us and ground us. He did that part for us. But also, we have to understand that we need to comprehend what his love is about as much as possible. The interesting thing is that we may know the love of God that surpasses knowledge is like that contradicts each other. But it's a recognition that we really can't understand, get our minds around, grasp fully the hugeness of God's love. And so he says it like this in verse 18. He's the one who grounds us in his love, but then he says that we might know the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of his love. He doesn't explain what he means by those things, but maybe this is a clue. Maybe he means that Christ's love is so long that it will never stop. It will last through eternity. As it says in Romans 8, 38 and 39, nothing will separate us from the love of God. Not death, life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, height, depth, or any other created thing. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. God's love is unconditional. He will never love you any more than he does right now, and he will never love you any less, as it has been said. It's an amazing thought. God's love is also wide. It's got breadth to it. It's so wide that everyone is welcome. As it says in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It has got so much height that it can reach the wealthiest and the most powerful, the most arrogant person. God's love reaches even there. Nobody is above God's love. But I love this last one, the depth of God's love. It's deeper than any sin that we have committed. It's deeper than any failure that we have had And I would say no one has hit a bottom that is so low that God is not right there below that bottom to bring you up. It reminds me of the story of the Good Samaritan where the two religious leaders pass by on the other side, but the Good Samaritan, he's called good because he did this, he stopped and saw the man that was in need that had been beaten up by robbers who was in the ditch, and he went down and got into the ditch to get him. That's what Jesus does for us. Jesus doesn't just see us in our need, but Jesus goes down into the ditch to get us, to pull us up out of the ditch in our need. That's the kind of depth his love has. So as we try to comprehend that love, then we realize it is so much bigger than I can comprehend, but yet I have to believe that love. It's interesting because he says that we might comprehend with all the saints. Really, comprehending the love of God is a group effort. You cannot comprehend the love of God on your own. You can get a little down the road, but to really begin to see the, the, all these dimensions of Christ's love, to see that, 
It takes the family of God as God's working in each of our lives and as we're sharing our lives with each other and as we're realizing, wow, God is amazing. His love is just incredible. We can't really get it. We can't explain it fully. But here's the truth. It must be so real in our lives, so real in our lives that we know it's true. And as one person has said, that we know that we know that we know. It's real. I know God's love that surpasses knowledge. I know it. And that's where we live. And if I'm going to do that, then I can be filled up to all the fullness of God. The problem is, I don't have any problem believing that God loves everybody. I don't have any problem believing that God is love. I have a problem believing that God loves me. Because I know me. I know where I've blown it. I know my sins. I even know those recurring sins that I said I repent of them, and now I'm doing them again, right? And I'm thinking, how can God love me? But he does love us because that doesn't surprise him at all. He's known us better than we've ever known ourselves, and he knows that. So we have to pray that God would grant that ability like Paul does, but we too must pray for that to believe his love becomes real. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis in the book, the weight of glory, he says this, to please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, a real ingredient in the divine happiness, that's a cool idea, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father and a son, it seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. I love it, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father in a son. That's the kind of love that God has for us. He doesn't just feel sorry for us. God actually loves us because he loves us. He loves you. He loves me. And if I can ever get my mind around that, my heart around that, my spirit around that, then I will begin to be filled up to all the fullness of God. And last, and we'll close with this. We have to live for God's glory. In 20 and 21, he says, a praise to God as well as an encouragement to us. Now to him who is able to do abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And he says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever to all generations. Amen. And what he's saying here is, is that God is able, he is strong, he is able to do abundantly beyond all we ask or think. So if you're struggling today with believing the love of God, if you're struggling today with believing that God wants to fill you up on the inside, that he wants to fill you to all of his fullness, that you can live a God-sized life, then right here is the answer. He is able to do that. And he says, but here's why he wants to do that. So that he... His son, Christ, will be glorified and so that the, he will be glorified in the church. And so together, we are part of what God is doing in the world. God is bringing about his glory in the world, but he is bringing about his glory in the church. Sometimes we forget that in the church, that our reason for being here is for the glory of God. It's not for our benefit. It's not for Spiritual entertainment, it's not to feel good about ourselves. Those things all happen, okay? But that's not our primary purpose. Our primary purpose is to bring glory to Jesus Christ in the church. 
That's one of the reasons we believe that a radical focus on Jesus is part of the vision that we have as Bayou City. But this is where God wants to do it because we can't just do it on our own. There are no long-range Christians. We do it in the church. Sadly, as uh, it's been said, A.W. Tozer said this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. That might be a little harsh, but it might be true as well. But he goes on to say, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, the early church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. You see... God wants to fill us up individually with all of his fullness, but he wants to fill up our church as well with the fullness of God so that when people are in our midst, they see Jesus, the body and the bride of Christ. And so today, let me ask you, today, let me ask you, is that something that you want Are you experiencing in your life the fullness of God or is God in just a small part of your life? I can't answer that question. I know that for me, I want more. I'm glad about what I've got, but I want more, okay? God wants to give you that. But we can do instead, we can be seeking other things that satisfy us. We can be seeking other things that we think will fill up that little vacuum in our heart that Pascal talked about, that God-shaped vacuum, but only God can satisfy that. Are you experiencing intimacy with God in Christ Jesus? Do you believe, really believe, that God loves you? And with all of the warts and failings that you see in your life, if you're just gut-level honest, do you really think that He wants to love you with all of that or is it just wishful thinking and and last as we talked about it are you living for Christ for the benefits that you receive from being a Christian or are you really motivated by his glory in you and in the church that's what he wants to sum it up when we live by faith on the basis of his love and for his glory we will increasingly live a God-sized life. Are you living a God-sized life today? Let's pray. Father, we come before you uh, admitting that we are powerless, Lord, to bring about the kind of change that you want to bring about in our lives. We are powerless to live the fullness of God that you desire for us. Lord, we're often very afraid to let go those things that are in the hall closet we're very afraid to say yes God you can change me not knowing what that change would look like sometimes willing to live with what we know even though it's not great instead of exchanging it for your fullness Lord we admit today that we can't do that ourselves. you alone can do that so Lord I pray that as we are here today, that we would make a commitment to you to at least reach out to you and say, Lord, would you do this and give me the strength so that Christ can dwell in my heart by faith. Lord, I pray that you would, 
be God-sized in this place today. Be God-sized in our lives today. That people would look at us, not only the image of God, but the full, beautiful, incredible image of God and say, I want some of that. Would you do that today, Lord? We ask you, we implore you. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand in the prayer team. They're going to come up to the front. And why the prayer team comes up here is so that you will have someone that you can pray with about this. It will be confidential. It will be something that you can share with them. They don't have answers. They can pray for you, though. I would encourage you to come. If you realize today that maybe there's an area in your life that you do not want to give to Christ, come to the front to one of these people that will pray with you. Come to them and ask them if they would pray with you about that. Maybe you're really struggling here today with believing that God really loves you. They would love to pray with you about that. You may be here, and maybe this is all new to you. Maybe what I've said today, you've heard it before, but now it's new. And maybe you realize that you've never placed your faith in Christ. You've never given Him your life. You've just said, hey, you can be a guest, you can hang out with me, but I'm not giving you the title deed to my heart. And you realize that you need to give Him your life today and put your faith in Him. Someone up here would love to pray with you about that. So as the worship team leads us in worship to God, the prayer team will be down here. I want to encourage you to come forward. Anyone that feels like they need that, come forward and let Him pray with you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Tomball app to find community in the body of Christ.